0: You would take your bibles and turn with me this morning to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. I've been working on a message that I was supposed to preach last week, but with the cancellation of services due to the weather, of course I couldn't preach it. And I had an extra week to work on it and think about the the text and read over it, meditate on it, pray, And look at all the other coinciding texts that go along with it, and thought, well, I would preach it this week, and the Lord hadn't given me liberty to preach it yet. Lord willing, next week, as we do observe the Lord's Supper, I'll I'll preach that message. Um, This morning, I want to bring a a standalone message. Um, I wanted to bring a message that would be a timely encouragement for us coming back to church. From from a bit of a hi, hiatus, and, and especially myself, uh, been away a couple of weeks. Um, Tony, uh, four for you, right? Four four weeks, you know, um, due to sickness. Um, thought this would be a good in, encouragement for us coming back after having a, a little little time off. Um, I could very easily go into an in-depth series on the subject that I'm preaching on. Um, Many books have been written on the subject, and I wanted to bring a message this morning on what it is, the, the most important thing that we do. I'm going to ask you this question, and I want you to give me some answers, see if someone will answer this correct, correctly. What is the most important thing that we do? Mm, yeah, but I'm looking for something specifically. What is the most important thing that we do in a week's time? What is the most important thing that we do? Worship. worship. Worship of the triune God, particularly gathering with the saints for the weekly corporate worship of God. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 23, says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. When the month of April gets here, I will have been walking with the Lord for 12 years, been called to preach for about 10 and when March gets here, I will embark on my fourth year of ordained ministry and fourth year of pastor here. I want to confess something to you this morning. I want to give you a little bit of my heart, a little bit of um, the fiery darts of the devil that I have to deal with. Um, I didn't want to come here today. I didn't want to. I didn't want to come to church. Much of it was due to, due to laziness. I've been home for two Lord's Days, you know, first recovering from sickness last week, inclement weather. I didn't want to have to set an alarm clock. I didn't want to have to get out of my warm, comfy bed. I didn't want to have to leave my warm, comfy house. I didn't want to have to go out into the cold weather. I was content sitting at home and watching another John MacArthur sermon on television. One of the fiery darts, just laziness. The other fiery dart From the devil is something that I've heard over, I hear it over and over and over every week. For four years since becoming pastor, but especially within the last three, since March of 2020, I hear this over and over. No one's going to come. No one's going to come. No one's coming. No one's going to come, so why are you even bothering to prepare? There's going to be more members of the Wood family present than actual people, so why even bother? No one wants to support anything unless it's a high day in the church. Christmas, Resurrection Sunday, or Mother's Day, or unless there is a band coming, then people will call and encourage and invite people to come to the house of God. So why even bother? Why even bother? And this is the answer. A lot of times by way of my wife that the Lord will send me, because I've called you to do it. Because I've called you to do it. A man does not enter the ministry because he seeks to get rich and popular. He does it because the Lord calls him to do it. And gathering for worship is not about me. And it's not about you. And it's not about who's not here. It's about him. It's about him. It's always been about him. And we gather for worship because one, we've been commanded to. We've been commanded to, we've been commanded to do so by the God, the God, the Father that created us, God the Son that has saved us, and God the Holy Spirit that seals us and leads us. And we gather to worship, secondly, because it is the greatest privilege that we have. It is the most important thing that we will do all week long. So I want to read to you a portion, four verses from Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 through 38, and I want to speak to you about the perfume of worship. Exodus 30, beginning with verse 34, these are the words of God. And the Lord said unto Moses, "'Take unto thee sweet spices, stacte and Annika and Galbanum, "'these sweet spices with pure frankincense, "'of each shall there be a like weight. "'And thou shalt make it a perfume, "'a confection, after the art of the apothecary.' "...tempered together pure and holy, and thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy, and as for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord." whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people let's pray heavenly father we have read and heard your word god we pray this day give us eyes to see what you have here for us in your word give us ears to hear what it is that you want us to take away from your word give us hearts to receive that it engrafts within into our very being and give us wills to apply what you have for us this day. Draw us all to a closer walk with the Master. All these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you study the Old Testament, you see throughout the history of Israel, when their worship was correct, God poured out his blessings upon them. And you also see when their worship was incorrect, they were punished. In fact, the first six books of the Bible reveal to us that God used Israel to be his deacon of justice, to be his hand of justice, to be uh, uh, the way that he would judge other nations that did not worship God the way that he desired, or did not worship the one true God at all, specifically the Canaanites. They were pagans, and their worship practices were unthinkable and detestable in the sight of God. So God used the Israelites to be His hand of judgment to remove those nations from that land and also to fulfill the promise that God made to Abraham to give the uh, Jewish people that land, the, the promised land. And however, Israel did not always worship God rightly. You, you look throughout the, the book of Kings. When, whenever they would have a godly king, they would worship rightly. Then when they would have an, an ungodly king, they would build the false idols and the Asherah and all that stuff, and they would do the detestable practices in the sight of the Lord, and God would judge them. Judgment would uh, fall upon them. We see this over and over and over in the New Testament. And then you take our nation. You take our nation that's been established for If we make it to July, 246 years, people have fled other nations to come here to be able to worship the one true living God without fear of persecution. And also, you cannot look, we've said this many times, you cannot look at our nation's history, at our founding, and not say that we were uh, founded on biblical principles, on Christian principles. And now here, you fast forward 246 years later, we are far removed from that biblical founding. And as a nation, we have completely turned our back upon the Lord. I've said this many times, and I mean it nationally. We are under the judgment of God. If you read Romans chapter 1, it defines perfectly what we're seeing and what, what we have seen and what we're continuing to see in our culture that is the United States of America. God has blessed this nation more so than any other in history. And how have we said thank you? By murdering three to five thousand of his image bearers every single day. Every 24 hours, 3,000 children will be murdered upon the altars of abortion. We still practice Baal worship and mullet, mullet worship in this day, we just call it Planned Parenthood now. We just call it abortion. We just call it a right to choose. We also as a nation parade our sin in the streets and on television and in movies. Groups of people use their sin of choice to define who they are. And we see the evidence of of God everywhere in creation. Yet as a nation, we don't want to retain God in our knowledge. And so what does God do in Romans chapter 1? He says he gives the people over to that reprobate mind. Men and women claim to their sin and hate God, and therefore God gives them over to that reprobate or debased mind. They have been given over to a mind that not only craves and pursues every manner of depravity that they can, that they can come up with, but they've been given over to a mind that just cannot even properly think. God created mankind for fellowship, but specifically God created mankind to worship him, not worship ourselves, not worship other people, not worship animals, not worship inanimate objects. We were created in the image of God, created to have fellowship with God and to worship God. 240 years, 46 years later, America's forgotten all about how to worship God or either they have changed the way to worship God or simply will not worship God at all and therefore as a nation we're being punished now at first glance at the text that we just read in exodus 30 you might say what does this even mean what does this even mean this was for the old testament jews living under old testament law this was for people living under the old covenant but i want to give you five things that we can take away from this these four verses from this passage that we can take away from this that Show us how God views worship and how we should obey Him. Look again at verse 34. Look again at verse 34. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto these sweet spices, Stachi, Annika, and Galbanum, and these sweet spices will be pure frankincense. Of each shall there be a light weight. Point number one Worship calls for preparation. Worship calls for preparation. We see here in the text that before the before the worship began, there was a preparation that had to take place. The Levites, the the Levite priests, had to take time to go search and find those ingredients. They had to go search for the stacte, which is gum that spontaneously flows from trees that produce myrrh. The onica is the external crust of shellfish. The galbanum is a yellowish to green or brown aromatic bitter gum resin derived from several Asian plants. They had to go out and they had to find these things. They had to search them out. Then it had to be combined with frankincense. And they had to search for these ingredients and then they had to work them together in the proper fashion as they were commanded by God. They had to do it carefully. They had to prepare. So we see here that worship is something that must be prepared for i want to ask you this morning do you prepare yourself before you come to worship do you prepare your heart and your mind before you come into the lord's house to worship him in spirit and in truth do you confess your sins so that your worship will be acceptable in his sight do you confess your sins so that the the, the, the our prayers that, the, that we lift up here in the church will not be hindered Because I say all the, uh, I've pointed this out before. There is our state and there is our standing. For the true Christian, our standing before God does not change. Our standing before God does not change. For the true Christian, Christ purchased our salvation upon the cross. When God looks at a person who has been saved, when God looks at a Christian, he does not see their sin. He sees his son. Then there is our state. That state can change from day to day or maybe even moment to moment. We may be saved, redeemed, justified in the sight of God, but we still live in this time-bound fleshly body that is still capable of falling to temptation of sin. And you think about, as I point out often, about how Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John 13. He washed the disciples' feet to show that our feet, meaning our walk, our state, can get dirty and need to be cleansed. So do you prepare, do you prepare your heart before you come before him to worship? Do you pray for the service? Do you pray for Miss Linda that she's going to play that piano to the glory of God? Do you pray for the congregation that we're going to sing to the glory of God? Do you pray for those who may sing special music that they're going to be used of God to sing to his glory? Do you pray for the word to thunder from this pulpit? Do you pray for that everything that is said and done under this roof would be pleasing, that it would be a pleasing aroma in the sight of God? Do you pray for the Lord to open your heart and mind so that you can worship him as he desires and as he deserves? Do you pray for that? Do you... Ask the Lord to to help keep you engaged and keep you focused on what it is that you're singing, what it is that's being preached, so that you can take that with you out there. When should preparation for worship begin? Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. We should begin preparing our hearts for the next Lord's Day on Monday because hopefully on sunday afternoons we're chewing and thinking about chewing on and thinking about what we have saying and heard on sunday and hopefully that'll stay with us throughout the the next week as it's and it co and hopefully it'll coincide with our daily personal time alone with the lord if you don't have daily personal time with the lord now's a good time to start now is a good time to start. I'm not trying to brag, but I will say that I at least made halfway decent time of um, uh, the time that I had at home. I'm almost through the Pentateuch portion of, of the Bible. I've read Genesis, Exodus. I'm almost, I'm four chapters away from being done with Leviticus and then into Numbers. So, I, you know, I'm gonna give... Uh, I'm gonna give uh, Miss uh, Jackie a run for her money as far as Bible reading this year. But we need to have that daily time, that daily alone time with with the Lord, and thinking about what we've sang and heard and talked and talked about on the Lord's day, and seeing, and, and hopefully that'll coincide with our own personal time with the Lord, and then with our daily prayers. Each one of us should have a da- a daily prayer list. If you don't, you need to put one together. We should be praying for our church, our church family, our missionaries, definitely for our family and our friends, and praying for, praying for God to work within us to shape us and to mold us and to conform us more into the image of Christ. Those things should be part of our daily prayer list. And along with that should be prayers. Lord, prepare my heart and my mind for the next Lord's day. Prepare my heart and mind to worship you rightly. We should be praying for these things. We should pray that our hearts and minds will be right before the Lord so that he will accept, so that he will accept our worship. We should not come into God's house unprepared, we should not come into his house unprepared to give him what he is due. Secondly, worship must be ordered. Worship must be ordered. Look, look again what it says in verses 34 through 36. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee the sweet spices, the stacti, the anica, the galbanum, and these sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each there shall be a like weight, and thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection. After the art of the apothecary, tempered together pure and holy, and thou shalt beat some of it very small and put, it, and put of it before the testimony of the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee, it shall be unto you most holy. Worship must be ordered. We see here in the text that there, there is a specified order to how the perfume was to be made. They could not substitute any other spices for the ones that God had required, and they couldn't use more of one spice and less of another. There had to be equal amounts of all of them. Otherwise, the perfume, the fragrance, the concoction would have been incorrect. It would have not given off the correct fragrance. Therefore, it would not have been acceptable. So there must be order in worship. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, some of you, when you think about that, when it comes to, when you hear that verse with regards to proper worship, many of our minds might be drawn to some of our Pentecostal brethren and their, the nature of their charismatic style of worship. Now, worship is not to be cold, it's not to be dry to the point that it could be confused with a funeral service. There is nothing, nothing at all wrong with exuding passion and emotion during the worship service of the Lord. Because I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's not going to be quiet in heaven. It's not. Some people are going to need that glorified body when they get to heaven because if they, did, if they didn't have it, they're going to die all over again from the shock because it will not be quiet with all of that singing and shouting and praising around the throne of God. I mean, the cherubim and the seraphim alone will be enough to knock people down as they uh, day and night surround the throne of God saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I'm pretty sure they're not whispering it. I'm pretty sure their faces aren't stone-faced. And you think about the, uh, uh, Revelation 4 and it talks about the 24 elders that will, that will fall on their faces and throw those crowns down at the feet of Jesus. Emotion. Emotion is not wrong, but it must be done decently and in order. It must, it, it must be spirit-led and spirit-controlled because God is not the author of confusion. Some of it that you've seen, you may even visit it and you've seen chaos and disorder. God's not honored in that. And a lot of mainline Christianity today, a lot of these churches that call themselves real relevant churches with their real relevant messages because they don't the pastors don't wear a tie, they wear a t shirt and jeans or whatever, and they take the pews out and they bring in chairs and they serve coffee and donuts and all this type of stuff, and they have the light shows and the rock concerts. A lot of that is just shock and awe. It's just shocking awe where the pastors and the leadership of the churches try to do Think of anything they can to draw a crowd. Bring in elements of the world to draw a crowd, to attract a crowd. It's sensationalism. I was watching a documentary about worship one time, and I saw footage from a church, and I put that in quotation. While they were taking up the offering, they played Money by Pink Floyd. If you, if you, and some of you know the song that I'm talking about. The light shows, the smoke machines, the the rock concert, the, the nightclub feel. The worship service of Almighty God should never, ever be prostituted for the sake of drawing a crowd. What are the ingredients of true biblical worship? What are the ingredients of a truly biblical worship service? What did the early church do? The Lord Jesus Christ commands commands the true worshipers to worship in what? Spirit and in truth. John 4, 24. The Apostle Paul explained that we worship by the Spirit of God, Philippians 3, 3, meaning that true worship comes only from those who have been saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and have the Holy Spirit in their their hearts. Worshiping in spirit also refers to having that proper heart attitude, not simply adhering to, to rituals. When something becomes ritualistic, that means you're not thinking about it. You are just going through the motions. There's no thought. There's no feeling. Nobody's getting anything out of it. It is monotonous. It is mundane. And God is not glorified in it. He deserves better. He deserves better. He deserves the best that we can give him. To worship Him in truth means to worship according to what God has revealed about Himself in Scripture. If you study the New Testament, you see that this is what is contained in most of in, in the New Testament worship services. They would take communion. Acts 20 verse 7 says, And on the first day of the week when they were gathered together to break bread. They would, they would have the Lord's Supper every time they gathered. Now, I understand the mentality about not wanting to do it, not wanting to partake of the Lord's Supper every week, because then it can become routine, then it can become ritualistic, and then it loses its meaning. I understand that. But it'd be fine with me if we did it more than four times a year. I could, uh, it's a precious, precious time. So the Lord's Supper was observed. Prayers were offered up. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. The Apostle Paul says, What is then the outcome? I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with the Spirit. And I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the uninformed say the Amen? Prayers was, was offered up during the worship services. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 shows us that songs were sung to the glory of God. Ephesians 5 19 says speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord now let me say something right here about music no matter whether it's no matter what the style contemporary hymn book does not matter as long as the words the lyrics are God word and not man word there are a lot of uh, songs that you hear on the on Christian radio and Jesse and I were talking about one where it's called what, Reckless. Reckless where it talks about the reckless love of God. Nothing that God does is reckless. Nothing. And, 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 and otherwise it's a very beautiful song but you know Hoss you should have changed that one lyric there because nothing that God does is reckless. Everything that he does is calculated and precise more than anything that we could ever do. Romans eight twenty eight says, "All things work together for good." God is sovereign. He taught, scripture talks about His predetermined plan before the world began. Nothing that, that He does is reckless. And I'll be honest, you can look through this, and a lot of these old hymns are more manward than they are Godward. Thankfully, we don't sing any of those. An offering was, was taken in the early church. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. On the first day of the week, each one of you is to set something aside, uh, saving whatever he has prospered, so that no collection may be made when I come. I thank God that for almost three years now, we haven't taken up an offering. We have not physically taken up an offering. We don't make much mention of money here. People, the people that have been faithful and God has blessed and I think, and I praise him for that. The scriptures were read. Colossians four verse sixteen says, uh, says, "And when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you for your part read my letter is that is coming from Laodicea." So the scriptures were read in the worship service, and then finally, the word of God was proclaimed. Let me go back to that verse in Acts chapter twenty verse seven. It says, "On the first day of the week, when they were gathered together to bake, break bread." Paul began speaking to them intending to leave the next day. And listen to this, he prolonged his message until midnight. Y'all ready for something like that? Y'all ready for me to sit in here to preach and to not quit till midnight tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, We talked about that when we were going through, uh, uh, as we've been going through the book of Acts on Wednesday night. Um, A lot of people at the 30-minute mark, they're sitting in, they're getting antsy, and they're looking at their watch. You know, Uh, people's uh, attention span isn't but so broad. Um, And, you know, in some aspect, that's, that's a shame, you know, because there was a time when, Lord's days were completely set aside for nothing but worship. You know, you think about the days when people lived on farms and they traveled by wagon. They would get up just before light, they would feed their animals, and then they would, then they would travel to church, they would gather at church, the, the preacher would start preaching somewhere around 10 or 11 o'clock, he'd preach till about 1, they would break, they would have lunch on the ground outside Come back in at about two or three, and he'd preach till about four or five, just before it, uh, before it would get dark. Give people a time enough to go home, to feed their animals, and go to bed, and get ready for the next week. And now here we are. Our attention span today—we've got to have something to keep us engaged at all times. We got to have a phone. We got to have a TV on or something, and we we can't devote. Much of our attention. We're not disciplined enough to devote much of our attention to the Lord. But the Word of God, the Word of God is the essential. It is the focus, the focal point of the worship service. A a church gathering that does not include the preaching of the Word of God as as the major component is not a biblical worship service. The preaching of the Word of God is the central ingredient of proper worship. Music is important, but I think about what Bi- Billy Graham said about George Beverly Shea. George Beverly Shea always would, would not always, but most of the time through G- Billy Graham's crusades and his preaching ministry and stuff, George Beverly Shea would sing right before Billy Graham would preach. And he said that was a very important part because it plowed the ground of the heart. It tilled the soul of the heart to prepare the heart For the preaching of the word, but the preaching of the word is the focal point of a true worship service. So worship calls for preparation. Worship must be ordered. Point number three in verses thirty-four through thirty-six: Worship is sacrificial. Worship is sacrificial. The Levites had to sacrifice time and effort to search and prepare those elements for the worship service. They had to give of themselves to get to get that stuff ready for the Lord. And praise be to God, we don't have to do that. We don't have to go hunt for elements in, out in the, the woods. We don't have to prepare stuff to make a spice perfume. We don't have to bring a, a heave offering or a grain offering or a burn offering, right? Remember the words of John the Baptist, John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John sees Jesus coming. And what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Praise God, because of Jesus' virgin birth, sinless life, death on the cross, burial, resurrection from the dead, every dot and tittle and every letter of the law has been fulfilled in Christ. And now there will never, ever be a need for another bloodshed sacrifice. So that brings us to the question, what about for the New New Testament Christian? What about for the New Testament Christian? What type of sacrifice do we bring? That's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writes, he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. It is reasonable to resist sin. It is reasonable to war with the sinful temptations that plague us. Because there's a God ever so near who will help us. Since the sacrifice, death, and resurrection of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, now the temple of God is no longer a place. Now the temple of God is a people. Every born again child of God has within them the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore each of us are the temple of God. We are called to present these temples as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. That means we live lives, we live lifestyles of repentance. Seeking to live a life where where worship flows into everything that we do. We are to worship the Lord in every facet of our lives and how we conduct ourselves, how we work on the job, how we talk to people, how we relate with our friends, how we deal with our, how we correct our children. Everything we do. God should be visible in everything that we do. We war with sin. We don't run to it and make excuses for it. There are days when there are victory and there are days when there are feat, Defeat. But as Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, we press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus to obtain salvation. No, no. It's a form of showing off that, we've been, that, that we have been saved as a form of acceptable worship. Sacrifice number two. This is, another, this is one that people don't like to talk about, but it is biblical. Malachi 3, verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet how he, yet ye have robbed me, but yet, but ye say, wherein have we robbed God in tithes and offerings? Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. We're commanded by the Lord to give a portion Back to him that he's entrusted us with, to give a portion back to him as of as worship. It all belongs to him anyway. Everything that we have, it's all his. He owns the cattle on a thousand hilltops. We don't really own anything, we just lease it from him. Because when we die, it's he's gonna give it to someone else, right? And I say this, you know, it, it, yes, it, it takes money to run the church. Thank God, you know, it takes, it takes, it takes money to keep these lights on. It takes money to keep that it, keep it, uh, heat running in the wintertime and keep us nice and cool in the summertime. But let me encourage you with this. And, you know, I said just a minute ago, you know, we don't talk a lot about money. And, you know, because thankfully, you know, we, we, we don't. Uh, take up that offering, offering formally. It's, it's done by cheerfully uh, giving as you enter or, or, or uh, leave. That way there's no pressure put upon anybody as a plate is passing through. But let me encourage you with this. As we're living a day and time where people like to talk about um, investing, investing in stock, you know, all that other stuff, cryptocurrency is real popular now but we should think about being investors into the, the, our father's business. We voted last year to support Heart Cry Missionary Society. They, you know, that they take the gospel and build churches in foreign lands, dangerous lands, some, some of them that are hostile to the gospel. And just think that you and I, you know, by what we give back to the Lord, that he may use that to lead someone to Christ. He may use that to, to, to build a, a church for him in some land that we may never lay eyes on. And one day we might have a crown that we can lay at his feet. And I want to say one, one more thing with regard of robbing God. Not just robbing God of tithes and offerings, but overall robbing God of the things that he is due. And every time that we come in here and just go through the motions and allow our minds to wander and not be focused on what's going on, what's being sung, what's being said, and we put our attention on other, on other things, we rob God of the worship that he is due. We rob God of the worship that he is due. So worship calls for preparation. Worship must be ordered, and worship uh, is sacrificial. Fourthly, worship must not be man-centered. Worship must not be man-centered. Verse 38, look what it says. Whosoever shall make unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his, from his people. I like what C.I. Schofield says in his reference Bible. He says, what is condemned here is making worship a mere pleasure to the natural man, whether sensuous as in beautiful music to please the ear or eloquence merely giving, merely to give delight to the natural mind. That goes back to what I talked about a moment ago about how bringing the world into God's worship service. And if Mr. Schofield, who published, that, published the Schofield Reference Bible first in 1909, if he could live to see what much of mainline Christianity has become today, he would see just how true those words are that he wrote. Jesus said in John chapter 4 beginning in verse 23 he said but the hour comes and now is when t- the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth the lord is say he- he- the father seeks such to worship him god is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth our focus is to be godward and not Manward. It's not about what we want, right? We and and people say this. You know, I'm coming to church to get a blessing. Yes, yes, yes. You get a blessing out of coming and worshiping the Lord. But you're coming to worship Him, so that should be our first and foremost and ultimate reason as to why we come to the house of the Lord to worship. And point number five. Point number five, verse thirty-seven. Look what it says. It says, "And as for the perfume." Which thou shalt make, ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Worship is meant only, only, only for the one true God. Moses and the Israelites were not to make make that perfume for anything else or anyone else. They weren't even to make it and, and put it in their home for personal use. It was holy, which means it was to be set apart solely for the Lord so how do we apply that to us worship mine and your worship is supposed to be set apart solely for the lord i want to ask you what things in your life get in the way of worship or get worship or 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 take away from the worship that should go to almighty god lord's day worship worship on the lord's day coming to church should be our excuse for missing other events Yet we let other events be our excuse for missing church. And now I know we talked about this in Sunday school. I know we live in a world now that is 24-hour continuous operation. But have you ever, has anyone ever asked the boss, man, hey, can I just come in after church? I'll take the hit in the paycheck and lose the hour or or two or whatever, and I'll come in after church. Has anyone ever thought about asking that? When I was working for FedEx I, I, in the handful of times that I would have to work on a Sunday when um, they had a contract with the flowers company and you had to deliver flowers on Mother's Day, I would have to come in and I was like, can I come in after church? And they always agreed. So, what's it going to hurt to ask? All they can say is no. And in this day and time when workers are so desperately needed, probably get your way and get what you're asking for. And this, and, and you know, when you think about things that people will go do as opposed to coming and worship the Lord, this afternoon, thousands of people are gonna worship sports teams. They do it every Sunday. They do it every Sunday, every Saturday and Monday night. Why do I say this? Because every time their favorite team scores, they rise to their feet and they scream and they shout. That's worship. That's worship. I don't care what they say. Worship solely reserved for God Almighty. How much different would the church here in America look like if we took our worship as serious as we take our jobs, as serious as we take our favorite hobbies, as serious as we take our love for sports teams? I saw on, on social media all day yesterday about people and their love for a particular sports team. I don't understand why anyone watches any of that stuff anymore. They're all prima donnas, overpaid, overrated. They're getting paid to play a game that children play in the yard for nothing. And they're getting paid millions of dollars and they act like children. And yet people cheer and holler and shout and scream and will paint their bodies up and sit in sub-zero weather just to watch them, but won't, but make every excuse under sun as to why they can't come to church. But then when trouble hits, oh God, please help me. Why? Why? You don't want nothing to do with him any other time. Why, why should he come to your rescue now? You and I were saved to worship the triune God. Yes, Christ came to save and save the lost from an eternity in hell. We were saved so that one day we will go to heaven and be with him forever. But we've been saved to worship him. And because he has saved you, because he gave his life for you, and because he provides for you and keeps you, he is indeed worthy of all of our worship. Worship is honoring God for who He is and what He has done and being thankful for both. I'm going to leave you with this question. And I want you to chew on this for from now to next Lord's Day and every upcoming Lord's Day that the Lord allows you to see after that. Will you continue to rob Him of what He is due? Will you continue to just... Phone it in. Will you let any excuse under heaven keep you from gathering with the saints of God as has been commanded by God? Will you be excited for worship, for the privilege to worship God? I know it's discouraging. It is discouraging when you're bombarded with nothing but fear all the time. I know it's, it's discouraging when I look and I see more wood family than I do human bodies. It's discouraging. But we press on. We're called to worship. We're going to worship for all of eternity. Might as well get a little practice now. Will you continue to rob him of what he, will, what he is due? Or will you give him what he is rightly due? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the high privilege, the high calling in Christ Jesus. You've created us, saved our unworthy souls, and saved us to be true worshipers of you. Lord, help us to every time we come into your house to worship you in spirit and in truth, to prepare our hearts and minds more than just Sunday morning as we're getting ready. Let us be thinking throughout the week, Lord, Prepare my heart and mind. Help me to keep short accounts with you. Lord, help me not to offend you the way that I did yesterday. Help me to learn from it so that my my walk will be better. My testimony will be better. I can be better, better used of you and so that my worship will be effectual in your sight. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to never... Take it for granted, the opportunities that we have to come in here and to worship you because there are many of our brothers and sisters right now around the world that if they're caught, they're going to be killed. If they're caught doing what we're doing right now, they're going to be killed. But yet they faithfully meet week in and week out in apartments and in homes, ever fearful that that door is going to get kicked in by a boot and they'll either be killed or they'll never see at least never see their family again on this earth. God, help us to never take this privilege for granted. We thank you for it and we praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.